Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and click that subscribe button. We hope that you'll check us out also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok and find out more about content. Of course, we encourage you to also check out the website at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's program. From time to time on the podcast, we will use Bible classes and sermons that were delivered at the Somerdale Church of Christ in Somerdale, Alabama, or other locations where I've had the opportunity to speak. And so this particular broadcast is one of those sermons from Somerdale. We hope that you enjoy it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Acts. And tonight, I mentioned last week that I'll be gone next Wednesday night's Titus Camp. I've uh, founded uh, Titus Camp 18 years ago and have directed each year, and uh, we, we're we planning on having, let's see, I think it's uh, 40, 58 kids, and then we have about 30 counselors that are going to be there, unless we have some show up at the last minute that want to come, uh, and so we'll train them all week long, and then they will all go present their lessons on the 17th, and it is a great experience, and so because I'm going to be gone next Wednesday night, uh, Nathan, if he's able, will be teaching in here. And I didn't want to split First and Second Timothy three weeks apart. I wanted to try to keep those together. And so in order to make that happen, to go back to back, I thought tonight what we might do is fill in some of the gaps because we've, we've gone through each of these books uh, from, you know, from beginning in Matthew now to uh, getting to First and Second Thessalonians, moving up to First and Second Timothy. And I wanted us to kind of look at Paul's life as a whole, talk a little bit about uh, how he gets to where he is in writing these letters, where he wrote them, when he wrote them, which we've talked a little bit about that. But I also want to share with you something that I, I have always been fascinated by, and that's from a historical perspective. So I don't think anybody ever told me when I was going to Bible school that when Moses was leading the Israelites out of Egypt, that he would have looked at the storehouses and he would have looked upon the pyramids of Giza that were built in, in a, as a tomb for Egyptian kings. I don't know that anybody ever told me that. I didn't realize that as I learned world history, it is seen through a lens of biblical history. That there are many, many things that happen in the Bible that can be proven apart from the Bible. That there's historical record that shows where they crossed the Red Sea. There's now archaeological evidence that shows the uh, ark or the, the other ark coming to rest. There are all kinds of things we find regularly in different places, and I'm going to show you a picture of one of those that, that's in Paul's life. But there are so many things that happen within the time frame of the establishment of the church and to AD 70 in that 40-year period that is literally changing the world. And there's no doubt in my mind that the reason why God picked that particular time in history, in all of history, is because the, the, the fertilization, if you will, of the soil and the water was present to give rise to the seed that would be the church. There are things from a uh, perspective of government, uh, what we talked about the Pax Romana, the freedom of those that are uh, Roman citizens. There's also the influx of Greek culture that had permeated nearly every culture around the world. Then you've got the Romans that come in and conquer all of the known world and change the languages and build the roads. And those things are changing North America and South America. They're changing all of Europe. 
even though we have just a small picture in the book of Acts. But the really neat thing about the Bible is on every page throughout the book of Acts are cities or people or situations that clearly reference what's happening in the world. And to see it through their lens, through that worldview, I think really helps us to see why Paul was so adamant that the gospel had to get to the whole world to fulfill Jesus's mission of the Great Commission. And we believe that by the time Acts 28 finishes, and just a few years after that, we're talking about about 65 to 70 AD, that the gospel had literally spread over the entire known world. We have apostles that are taking off like Thomas to India. There are others that are going to other places and starting churches there. And that brings in the Christian ethic, if you will, to government. That brings in biblical standards for education, for uh, places of orphanages to be built, for hospitals to be built, and the bringing together of communities where churches would be established. And so, so much of what is happening in Acts not only impacts our lives as Christians today in the church, but it impacted everyone in the world in that day. And so the reasons why Luke chooses to read, write the historical account in his gospel and then the book of Acts is to show that anybody who would have gotten a copy of those books, this would be around 70, 80, 90, as they're being spread out all over the world, they would have seen how all of these things go back to Jesus. And I love that because all of history, all of history, surrounds this special nation of people that God had protected with the Jews in the Old Testament, now with the Christians in the New Testament. And so I thought it would be helpful for us to kind of go through and talk about some of these things as we connect it to Paul's life. Because Paul is famous. If you ask anybody about a Bible character, they're going to mention Jesus. They're going to probably mention Noah or Abraham or Moses. But when it comes to the New Testament, Paul is a very prominent figure. And he impacted people all over the world. So let's just kind of think back about a few things we've recognized about Paul in, in just what we've read. So we know that Paul was born in Tarsus, which is the chief city of Cilicia. And sometimes it's spelled with a C, sometimes it's spelled with an S at the end. But Cilicia, it's in Southwest Asia Minor. Now, the, the city, Tarsus, actually means no man's land, the no man's city. So it really, uh, it's really just a group of people that get together, they choose peace. That's not an aggressive culture, a very peaceful group of people. And so when we see Paul coming from this nation or from this, this part of the world, he's a Roman citizen. He, he has privileges his whole life. He has an advantage of having basically, if you will, to put it in our terms, he has a special presentation of a card or a certificate that gets him discounts on all of his food in the marketplace. He has an automatic ticket to the Caesar if he ever wants to hear a case to be uh, brought before the Caesar, being a Roman citizen, and he uses that to his advantage a couple of times in the book of Acts. And it's great because it gives him an opportunity to convert some in, in Caesar's household. We talked about that in Romans. But he, he bridges out this wider circle, but it starts with his background. He has Jewish roots, if you'll remember, he calls himself uh, there in, in Philippians 3 and verse 5, a Hebrew of Hebrews. And so he's from the tribe of Benjamin, the Bible tells us. Now, there's a couple reasons why I think that's important as you go through the rest of the book of Acts. Paul would have taken a very conservative view. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Gamaliel, who is who he trains with, uh, is mentioned in Acts 5 and later on. 
but he trained under the feet of Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel is the grandson of Hillel. And there are two main Jewish schools of thought. There's a very conservative school of thought and more liberal school of thought. And so Paul comes from this conservative root, from the Hillel school, being trained by the grandfather of the great rabbi. So he's in, he comes from a very conservative family. Uh, he considers himself a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. So it makes sense when you begin to see how harsh he is with people that are against Christianity or against uh, Judaism. When the Christians come along and they start calling themselves of the way, it's not until after Paul becomes a New Testament Christian and follows Jesus that they begin to call themselves Christian. Prior to that, they just said, we're of the way. And so when Paul goes to persecute them in Acts 9, as he did with Stephen in Acts 8, they're going from house to house to find those that are of the way. Now, one of the things that they would do, and it's something that we see that we may not understand the significance of it, is a lot of times when they went to the cities where there was harsh persecution, the Jews would know the people that were Christians because some of them were of their family. That was easy to point them out. But for those that were Gentiles or those that were not of a, uh, a community organization of people where they could be picked out, they had to look for signs. And one of the things that Christians did is that they would go to an area in the marketplace or in a place where there was a lot of dirt, and they would drag their foot along the ground and make a swooping sign and back again and it was in the shape of a fish. Have you seen those Jesus fish? I had a lady one time, she was, bless her heart, she was arguing with me. She goes, you can't put that on your car. That's Baptist, you know. I said, it's not bad. What are you talking about, Baptist? She said, oh, it's uh, they're the ones that invented that. And I said, well, okay. I didn't argue with her. And then I sent her uh, some pictures and some things that have been found in marketplaces back in the day. I said, now do you still think it's, you know, denominational? And she's like, yeah, okay, well, I can't help you. But what they would do is they go into the marketplaces and they would make this, this fish symbol because they're to be fishers of men. Remember from Matthew 5? So where the mouth of the fish points would be in the general direction of where Christians met. And so they would follow on the ground these symbols to find, they didn't have a marquee sign, they didn't have a sign over the door, but that's there where they would find the place where the church met. And there would be lookouts. Uh, if it led out of town to a catacomb, they would do that. And I mentioned when we studied Corinth that they also, see, today we put marquee signs up and billboards and we build buildings whoo, way up, not them. They didn't do that. In fact, they usually didn't use their top floor for sleeping. They left it open for gardening and for entertaining and things like that where it was cooler. So most of their advertisements would have been down on the level. And we know that from Corinth because that's what the prostitutes did. They wore sandals that walked around and said, follow me in the Greek language. So they would look on the ground and they would follow that. So it would be great if, while you're in the marketplace, you saw a symbol. Now, they couldn't use a cross because at that time, the cross was actually a negative thing. It was a sign of the worst possible criminal's death. So these Christians would meet. So Paul makes his way into these places, and Deuteronomy 21 makes it pretty clear that if someone, the worst offense that you can commit is the idea of blasphemy or to say something ill of the Lord or the Lord's name. In fact, that's one of the Ten Commandments, right? So Paul, being a conservative, conservative Jew, takes it upon himself, his mission is to persecute and to otherwise imprison and possibly uh, execute individuals who claim that Jesus is not just the Messiah. See, that's, there's a lot of Messiahs that are mentioned, a lot of uh, uh, anointed ones that are mentioned in the Bible. David's called an anointed one. 
The problem was they said Jesus is not only the Christ, but he is Lord and Christ. Remember, that's what Peter said in Acts 2. He's, this same Jesus was made Lord in Christ. They saw Jesus as God. And that's where Paul comes in and he says, I am going to take care of this. So he goes on behalf of the Sanhedrin, on behalf of Gamaliel, and goes out into these cities like in Damascus and comes back with all of these Christians. It's interesting that one of the lead preachers in the city where he's about to go, Ananias, is the one who gets the vision. Hey, there's this guy coming. His name's Saul. Ananias, I know this guy. I, I, I know. We're ready for him. But the Lord tells him to go into the town, as Paul was told to go into town when he missed you. Ananias was told him to go into the street called Straight to find him there. And he's waiting. He's waiting for uh, Ananias' presence. So Paul here is now staying in this place, waiting for three days, prayer and fasting. Ananias comes and he converts him. And the story is told in Acts chapter 9. And I just want to remind you, if you will go there with me, of the text that tells us the story in first person. Now, there is also, I'm sorry, not in first person, but later on in first person, he will tell the story in Acts 22 and again, uh, 26. But here in Acts chapter 9, Paul, it says, still breathing threats, which goes back to the chapter 8 and how he's, he's uh, led to the death of, of, of Stephen. And it says, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples, verse 1, went to the high priest and asked letters from him, the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether man or woman, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, then he fell to the ground and heard a, a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard to kick against the goads. Now let me pause here and, and notice that he is persecuting these Christians because they call Jesus Lord. But when he hears the voice and he realizes the presence of Almighty God, we're looking at Jesus here, God's son, he says, you're Lord. He calls him Lord. So Paul makes a confession before he ever becomes a New Testament Christian that he realizes the voice he's hearing is of God and he's coming to persecute people who said Jesus was and is God. So he's like, I know now. And, and Jesus says then, uh, you know, you're kicking against the goads, which I mentioned to you before, Skelly's and, and Agamemnon. That's a, that's a philosophical line from a book. So he trembled and astonished, said, Lord, Again, there's that confession. Well, he had no problem with calling Jesus Lord now, does he? Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Jesus does not give him specific instructions on what to do to be saved because that instruction is laid at the hands of the apostles and the disciples in Acts chapter 1, Matthew chapter 28, Mark 16. They were to go into all the world. They were supposed to preach the gospel. They were supposed to baptize. So Jesus doesn't give him the steps to be saved. He says, go into town, somebody's going to tell you. And so when he gets there, it says that he, he goes. The men, first of all, verse 7, said that they, could, they stood speechless because they could hear a voice, but they couldn't see anybody, and they couldn't really decipher what the voice was or what was being said. That's later on, uh, it's told that way. It says, uh, then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. In other words, he was so blinded by that light that he couldn't see, but they led him into, by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. And I think it's interesting, we have no evidence of the two guys or the guys that traveled with him. They, they're, 
they think he's you know, basically lost his mind. They have no idea what happened. And they just leave him. He stays there alone. They, they just abandon him. So he stays there and he waits until Ananias comes to teach him and baptize him. Now, chapter 9, 10 through down verse 19 tells a little bit more of the story. He, he stands up and he, he has all the scales fall from his eyes and he's able to see. Uh, he's baptized for mission of his sins. But I love the way Paul tells it in Acts 22. He says that Ananias looks at him and says, what are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? Why are you tarrying? You can put it any way you want. It'd be kind of like when your kids, you know, you're trying to get them ready to come to Bible study. Get up. Let's go. Let's go. Ananias says, what are you waiting on? Get up and be baptized. And that's exactly what he does. He jumps up and he is baptized. And so later, when you see Paul converting Lydia, Philippian jailer, you see him conversing with Apollos' group, those in Ephesus and the Ephesian Pentecost, he says the same thing. You need to be baptized. And that's where Paul's real story begins. Previous to this, uh, we can look at all the negative things he did. We can talk about all the harsh things that he said and the persecution. But I think there's two main reasons why God called Paul. First of all is he was a scribe. Don't forget that. He was a scribe underneath Gamaliel. He has not only the experience of sitting at the feet of a great teacher and know how to teach himself, but he has the experience of writing scripture. Hmm. What would Paul do? He would write most of our New Testament. He was trained in biblical languages, and he was trained in confrontation, which he has to confront a lot of false teachers. So he, I always, I always tell this, you'll, hopefully you'll remember it, we all are scribes. When we were little, we learned to scribble, you know? We call it scribble. We scribble. We write. And so he had written and written and written scripture. The only thing that comes natural to him when you're confronting people is to write. He came, what did he have in his hands when he went? He had papers. Everywhere he goes, he's got papers. He's got papers from the high priest. He's got papers from Gamaliel. He's got, he's got all of his work, you know, he's written scripture, Old Testament. Now here he is writing our New Testament. So those are, that's one main reason. Another reason why I think God called Paul was because he did not follow the same mold as the other apostles. The other apostles who had walked with Jesus had life experience with Christ. And so it was almost automatic when Peter came to town, everybody dropped what they were doing, came to hear Peter. Paul was not treated like that early on in his ministry. Paul had to work his way in. Most of his letters, let me tell you why I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Well, why do you have to defend yourself so much, Paul? Because they looked at the, and he calls some of the apostles in Corinthians super apostles. You know, you look at them as if they're better than me and Barnabas. But he was an apostle of Jesus. And one of the things that he did was he didn't have the support of the early church in getting funds. He did for mission work. Antioch was a great supporter. But he had his own vocation. Two things he knew how to do, okay? Write and build tents. For the rest of his life, he's going to write letters and build churches. That's what he does best. And this is why God calls him, I believe. The other thing is, I go back to his school of thought. He follows Gamaliel. Anywhere you go, if you have, um, you have credibility, uh, and, and it's, really, it's really, I guess it's everywhere, but in America, people ask you, they say, where did you go to school? You know, when I was growing up, it's where you went to college. 
when we go to sometimes some communities, it's where you went to high school. And it's like that in, in North Alabama. Where'd you go to high school? Well, I went out there at, you know, oh, okay. Well, that's a little 2A out there in the middle of the sticks. Well, I went to, oh, you went to one of those 5, 6A, 7A, 13A, you know, six football team winning uh, Heisman quarterback playing teams. And, that, and so the school of thought where you come from, even in their day, was important. So Paul could drop names like, I studied under Gamaliel. I came from the school of Hillel. And they would have said, oh, this is a guy who knows his, he knows the language. He knows the culture. He was a strict Hebrew, as I said. Then also his calling into ministry, when you begin to see him interact with people, one of the things Paul is gifted in is surrounding himself with other people. He loved to, uh, he loved to have great leaders. He trained great leaders. He traded Timothy. He trained probably Titus. Uh, no doubt he has a great influence on Luke's life, and he has a great influence on guys like Philemon, Onesimus as a part of the story there in Philemon. And so he liked to have people, he surrounded himself with people that really loved the mission, believed in the mission. Barnabas was a great example of someone who, who really led and encouraged Paul, and then Paul goes out and he does the same thing himself. His calling changes everything. The, the conversion of the Apostle Paul changes the dynamic of the rest of the New Testament because he is the face of, and it's interesting, too, when he calls him, do you remember what Jesus said to him? Do you remember what he was going to be called to do? Who was he to be a teacher of? Gentiles. Well, it's interesting. He comes from a Jewish school of thought. He's, he's, he's circumcised. He's done all the feast days. Throughout Acts, he even goes to the temple on occasions when there's feast days. Why doesn't he go as a minister to the Jews? Because he's been trained not only in language but also in philosophy. And he uses that to his advantage. He'll quote a lot of philosophy in his books. We, we miss that sometimes because we don't read a lot of ancient Greek. And you don't have to <laughs> to be a New Testament. So can somebody have an amen? You know, thankful. I, I've watched a lot of guys get in a pulpit and say, let me tell you what this word means. And it's, the you know, this and this and this. And if you hyphenate it here and you, you know, the root word and, you know, you know, it's fine. I, I love it. I love to study it. But sometimes it can be overwhelming. So Paul is reaching Gentiles who wanted the knowledge. Gentiles sought after knowledge. Jews sought after a sign. The apostles were able to do the miracles. So Paul goes to the people who want to hear him. That's why he's at the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17. He goes to those places. He teaches. He preaches. And so everything he does impacts everybody around him. He's first converted in Acts 9. There's a few sad verses in the Bible. One is, to me, when the ark is shut and it says, and God shut the door, whew, that hits me. Or when the virgins come to the door and they don't have any, they don't have their oil for their lamp and the door is shut and they're locked out, that hurts. Those stories impact. Well, it's interesting when you're looking at Paul's life and you're looking at some of the things that he had to do, he has to literally start completely over with no one to help him. And when he goes to the elders of the church, he goes before James, brother of Jesus. He goes before Peter, the apostle, and John, the apostle. Acts 9 says that as he goes before them in Jerusalem, they would not accept him. Jesus had taught his disciples to be open. He says, don't lord over the church like a bunch of Gentiles. It's interesting, Peter uses the same line in 1 Peter 5. But the apostles said no to Saul. 
They said, we will not accept you. Go back home where you're from. And he goes all the way back to Cilicia, to his home of Tarsus, where he spends years. Just, uh, we don't know what he's doing. He's not writing. He's not preaching much. He's certainly not doing mission work, and he's not endorsed by the apostles. But when the persecution begins to come up, Barnabas is the one. Remember, he's a member of the Church of Jerusalem. Acts 4, he sold everything he had and gave it, even though he was a Levite, didn't have to. Didn't, it's hard to get property as a Levite, but he had some. He gave every penny to the church. So they said, he's the son of encouragement. So the Barnabas goes and gets Saul, and he says, we need you for mission work in Antioch. And that's where it comes on the scene in Acts 12 and 13. But he's really working in chapter 11, Barnabas is, to get Paul back. But they didn't want him there. So he's a self-starter. He does not have the support. He doesn't have the backing, and he doesn't have the financial support of the elders in Jerusalem. Now, there's probably a lot of reasons why that is. I will ask Peter when I get there, why didn't you let Paul place membership in the Jerusalem church? But I would say that probably the reason why is because they were fearful that it was not sincere. And there are a lot of times, in fact, Peter himself, let me give you a, let's not be too hard on Peter. Okay, this happens in Acts 9. Do you remember what happened in Acts chapter 5? They had a couple of people, a husband and wife, that were insincere in their pledge to handle money. Remember that story? So Peter has had to deal with some tough stuff. Not only that, he's got a bunch of complaining people in Acts 6 that were upset about the way the widows were treated, the Gentile widows or those who were Hellenistic widows. And so Paul, Peter's had to deal with that. So sometimes, you know, when you, when you go to the church leadership and they don't hear you out, it's not because they're upset with you or they think you're bad or whatever. It may just be they got a lot on their plate. So don't be too hard on Peter. But what we do know is the apostles turn him away. And it's when Barnabas calls him back that he is so excited. Sometimes we all need a timeout. You know, we're ready. I knew a guy in, uh, in Cuba, Missouri. We baptized him on a campaign. And two days after, he wanted to go knocking doors with us. And I'm ready. He was a Pentecostal preacher that we had converted. And, uh, oh, man, I'm ready. I, am, I know the gospel. And he's got a pocket full of tracts. And I told him, I said, you're not ready. Oh, what if Jesus comes back? Well, he is coming back, but you need to take some time to study. You, you've just thrown away, you know, 30 years of your life and teaching. That doesn't come miraculously. You get all this knowledge dumped in your head. You have to relearn the scriptures. You've been viewing it through a, a lens. You need to take the lenses off. But man, he was out there. He was knocking doors. And at the end of the first day, he said, this is harder than I thought. I said, you're just knocking doors and handing out tracts. What are you going to do when they ask for a Bible study? How are you going to approach that? Well, I'll use one of the tracks that you've given me. So I told him, I said, we're not trying to discourage you, but you're not ready. So it may be that Paul needed a little bit of time. He's eager. Remember the first thing he does is nearly gets killed. You know, he's like, oh, I'm going to go preach in Damascus. And they try to kill him. So he needed to tone down his zeal just a little bit. They weren't trying to pour water on his fire. Just giving him a little time out. And he comes back more excited about his spiritual walk than ever before. So the church is established in around AD 33. Uh, some, will, some will say it's around AD 30, as, as late as 34, but we, based on what we're looking at and the way we're going to, we're just going to view it from AD 33 is when it happens. Jesus lives on the earth for those 33 years. The, the abacus they used to do the math, the monks figured out was the year zero, and everything came after that. That's why it's Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. So, well, it used to be. Now it's. ACE, after the Common Era. Um, 
but they divided the line. And so in AD 33, as you keep moving forward through time, it looks like Paul was converted early on, maybe just a few years after the establishment of the church. And so he has, it really is persecuting the churches in the Jerusalem area. He's not persecuting the rest of the region. So that tells me that he sees that it can be squashed close to home. Prior to this, he's in school. He's in school. He's working with the Sanhedrin. He has a good connection with the high priest, whatever that means. And uh, he probably is just being educated. And it doesn't mean that he was young. He could have been middle-aged at this time. But uh, I've often wondered, was he there when, when Jesus preached on such and such? Was he there at the cross? If you want my opinion, I don't think he was. And the reason why I think that is because I think Luke would have told us. Luke writes the book of Acts. And as soon as he can insert Paul into the story, he does. And I think that if Paul would have been present in the teaching of the parables, if Paul would have been present, he was no doubt in town, there's no question, as a strong, faithful Jew, he would have been there at, uh, at Pentecost and at Passover. But we don't have any interaction. And I've heard people say, well, maybe he's one of those Jews that's questioning Jesus in some of those scenes. I don't know that that's the case, but I think Luke probably would have told us. And I think if Paul had that information, Paul likes to talk about himself. He does. In fact, that's why I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews, because he signs his name to everything. Let me tell you about who I am. Let me tell you about how I became an apostle. Let me tell you how I came to know Jesus. And I think that if he had been at one of those occasions, he probably would have told it in his books. Does that make sense? So I don't know. We'll find out when we get to heaven. But uh, I, I doubt it. I'm 50-50. How about that? Does that help you? All right. Any other questions? Well, look at the historical events. A lot of stuff is happening from the establishment of the church to the time that uh, the temple's destroyed in AD 70. And I think this is important because when the best, I'll give you a good example of this. The best time for me to ask for something when I was a teenager was when my brother was getting into trouble. You know why? Because I'm not in trouble, he's in trouble. People who are smart will use chaos to their advantage. You heard the politicians say, let no crisis go to waste. Why is that? Because if this is going on over here, it's diversionary tactics. If this is going on over here, I'm going to go over here, and I'm going to do this. And by the time you realize you've got all these fires, there's no way to put them out. Rome is early. We're talking about by the time Jesus is on the, on the earth. We're talking about the second and third emperor, in, well, the second emperor in their history. Roman history goes all the way up to the 300s, 600s, and beyond. Talk about the fall of the Western and the Eastern empires. So what, what, what happens here is there's so much going on, and it's not just in Jerusalem. Rome's trying to conquer the whole world. And the problems that they're having in Jerusalem is there's Herod on the throne. Herod's an Edomite, okay? He's, you go back to Esau and Jacob. We're from Jacob, right? The Esau lineage became the Edomites. And an Edomite not a Jew, is on the throne. Herod is an Edomite. And all of his descendants, you go through Herod Antipas, Herod Agrippa, Herod Agrippa II, you know, Herod the Great. These are all Edomites. And so the Jews, they would rebel against that. They also rebelled against the Romans. They rebelled against the Greeks. They didn't like the way that they were having to be uh, taught in school. They didn't like the way they handled the marketplace. They didn't like that Roman citizens got a break. 
And if you really wanted to upset them, you would talk about their pocketbook. You know, they, in these days, you argue with a Jew about their money, you, you would be in big trouble, okay? So when some of their Jews become tax collectors, they were the worst of humanity, the worst of humanity. So look at some of the things that are happening. So the church is established about AD 33. Paul's converted soon after. Paul goes to Damascus and he's preaching. But at the same time, Peter raises Dorcas and converts Cornelius. These stories are at the same exact time of history. Pontius Pilate in AD 36 is called back to Rome for misconduct. Jesus calls him on one of them in Luke 13. You remember that the story where he says Pilate's going to be rebuked and um, then he says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to crucify Jesus. I wash my hands. And they said, what do you want him to do? Send out Barabbas. So Pilate's in a lot of hot water. He's had three or four major, uh, fights. And this, what's happening with the Christians now has really got him frustrated. So the Roman emperor says, Pilate, you're gone. And he's going to do the same thing to the Herods, the Kings. He's going to say, you can't rule like this. I need peace in Jerusalem. And from those 40 years, that period of history in Jerusalem, unrest was unbelievable. Read 1 Maccabees. It happens before Jesus even comes. There's, there's this revolt. Jews are very angry with the Romans. That's why they wanted Jesus to come in as a militaristic Messiah. They didn't want Jesus to come in and talk about peace and love and tell stories. They wanted him to grab a sword and start whacking some heads off. And the miracles are great if you're feeding people, but they wanted him to slay Rome and move him out, and he, he wouldn't do it. So Pilate is recalled. Uh, Caiaphas is removed from the high priest. Caiaphas and Annas, there's a situation where Romans had decided who could be the high priest. Well, the Roman emperor says, you can't do that. If we're going to keep peace in Jerusalem, you, you can't do You can't tell the Jews who their high priest can and can't be. So a lot of stuff in Jerusalem, that if you're a Jew, you've got the wrong high priest on the throne, you've got the wrong king in the seat, and you've got the wrong government, and now a lot of your people are following this Jesus instead of being a part of your culture and being in synagogue and practicing laws of the Old Testament. Uh, so Caiaphas is removed. Then Emperor Tiberius Claudius Nero, I had to put his whole name because the next several emperors bear his name. He was so well-loved. In fact, the Lake Gennesaret is later called Lake of Tiberius. He dies in, in 37 A.D., and uh, Gaius Caligula becomes the third Roman emperor in 37 AD. So they're changing leadership quite often. So keep going in Acts. Josephus is born. He's going to be taking a note of history. The Romans decide they want to build a divine temple to Augustus. They're going to start calling their Romans gods. You think that's going to upset the Jews? No god but one. So this is going to cause a major frustration. Saul will travel to Jerusalem and to Syria. The Romans began persecution uh, against Alexandrian Jews, those that are in uh, Alexandria, Egypt. This is where they put together the Septuagint. This is where they had held uh, many copies of different books, not just of the Bible books, but of historical accounts from other nations. And there were Arabs and Jews both doing this, by the way, collecting all the major books. You could have gone into that uh, place and read... Uh, historical books, you could have read biblical books, you could have read all kinds of things. Later it burned. Most of us, if, we, if you're a historian or you love history, it makes you cry just thinking about it. But, but the Romans begin their persecution against the Alexandrian Jews. 
But then Governor Herod Antipas is exiled. Again, there's Edomites on the throne. The Jews don't like it. They cause problems. Caligula then says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to put a statue of myself as, remember, he sees himself as God, inside the temple in 40 AD. Well, how do you think that sets with the Jews? So you can see it's not just Christians that are being persecuted. It's the Jews that are being persecuted. Uh, then Caligula is assassinated, replaced by Claudius. This is a neat little story. So Claudius is out playing. You know they had Olympic Games, and they're throwing javelins? Well, you'd think that you would pay attention, right? Well, he got injured, and he goes to his bed. He lays down. Basically, he stops breathing. They think he's going to die. So in these days, you either had a son or like Tiberius is a stepson uh, to the emperor, or sometimes it would go to the governor who's in charge or one of the generals. So, so Caligula is here and he's dying. And so Claudius, they bring and they say, he's going to be our new emperor. Our emperor is dead. He's on his deathbed. He's not dead yet. <clears throat> Don't count him out. <laughs> So they put him on the deathbed. They've got the family in there. You know, they put all the flowers around him. They're, they're waiting for him to die. They think he's going to die. And out of nowhere, after this week, two weeks of celebrating and having parades for uh, Claudius, he sets up in his bed and he says, I'd like something to eat. Well, they panic because they've been hailing another emperor as emperor. So the Praetorian guard, the leader would be his like main bodyguard, comes in and he takes the bed sheets and he strangles him because you can't have two emperors. Interestingly enough, later on they will. <laughs> but they say, we can't have two emperors. So they kill him, even though he, he may or may not have recovered. And it's all during this time of unrest in Rome that Barnabas goes and gets Paul. So when Paul says, I want to go to the household of Caesar, it's because Caesar is a mess. Caligula, I'll tell you, I, I don't Google his name. Do not. Don't, History Channel comes on about something about Caligula. Turn the channel, I'm telling you, because it is so, his vile behavior is the worst. We think we live in terrible times today. He, he was, you know, we talk about Nero being evil. Caligula was crazy, crazy. They thought he drank poison that made him crazy. But anyways, he, he just, he was a bad guy. So Paul goes on these missionary journeys. Remember that Agabus in Acts 13 tells him, about the chains, and he tells them about the great famine. So when Paul goes to preach in these cities on his missionary journey, he's not just going and knocking on doors and, and having Bible studies. This was a time of extreme famine. For 40 years, they had famine, no food. That, that is mentioned, but again, put that in your mind as you're reading through the book of Acts. These three or four chapters, there was famine in this area, and the Romans were supposed to be in charge. Feasting it up in Rome, not filtering food to the cities. So this is where Paul writes Galatians, and they have the Jerusalem Council. And then another thing that's going on, Acts 15. Rome decides they're going to conquer the world. So they send ships to the United Kingdom, to Great Britain. And in AD 50, they conquer officially the island, big island, and they found the city of, Rome, of, of London. London was founded by the Romans. And what they did in London is what they did in Rome. They started building streets. And they built beautiful streets, straight streets, nice, nice pathways, sidewalks, etc. And those streets that Rome built in London and all over, the same roads built in Rome, still stand to this day. Uh, I've heard people joke about, we'd love to come, come back and work for the highway department, you know. Because they've, they've lasted for 2,000 years and we can't, 
we got, they came through my, my street yesterday or today and put down a bunch of chat next to my, um, next to my uh, mailbox. I was like, who did that? Somebody did something nice. Well, the city came by and did it. So Rome has their soldiers in Great Britain. It's another reason why they couldn't go in and take over Jerusalem. They didn't have enough troops. So that's why the Roman emperors were like, let's, let's make sure they have the right high priest. Let's make sure they don't get in trouble. Uh, Paul and Barnabas separated with John Marks, and they have two missionary teams. Paul will write the book of First and Second Thessalonians here. Let me move quick. I know we're already, bear with me. Uh, i got about five minutes. So Paul ministers in Corinth with Aquila and Priscilla. What is their job? What do they do? They're tent makers. They're tent makers. So Paul spent his whole life writing and building little houses, little tents, and now he meets other people that are in the same frame of mind. Uh, then Roman Emperor Claudius dies. I won't tell you how that happened. The Roman Emperor Nero is put in. He's a bad guy. He persecutes Christians. I can't remember. I was telling Misty, I was trying to remember. I didn't have time to. I have a book. Actually, uh, the reason why Brandon talked about this in the devotional is I was telling him what I was doing today. And he brought me a book, Chronology of History, from a Biblical Perspective. And uh, I can't remember which one it is. I'll have to go back and look. But I think it's Claudius. Uh, some of these guys were so, they were so evil, so evil that, um, I mean, everybody hated them. But anyways, let me get back. So Nero becomes emperor. I'm sorry. Uh, Paul writes Romans. He writes First and Second Corinthians. Uh, then you have the Ephesian Pentecost of Acts 19. And he's imprisoned in Jerusalem. So he's been imprisoned in Philippi. He's been imprisoned in Jerusalem at least once. And now he'll be imprisoned in, uh, in, in Capernaum. No, in uh, Caesarea. Remember we talking about the school of Tyrannus, the University of Tyrannus, depending on how you look at it. It was a giant hall that they would meet in and teach. Paul turned the philosophy department at this school, which Tyrannus is where we get the Greek word tyrant. These are wicked, evil people. Strangely enough, they called Paul wreaking havoc, remember, in Acts 9? He was a tyrant. So now the tyrant of Judaism has become the peacemaker of Christianity teaching out of a hall named after a tyrant. And what is he doing? He's training gospel preachers to go all around the world out of a secular school. We could never do this today. I could never walk up to the University of Alabama, walk into the philosophy department and say, put down your books, we're going to study the gospel of Mark today. I'd be run out of there so fast. I'd probably be in chains. It wouldn't, it wouldn't take long. But that's exactly what he did. He went in and he taught scripture. That's what it looks like. So he's imprisoned again, and then he goes to Rome. Another thing that's happening during this time, the Romans conquer the Druids. The Druids are the human sacrificing culture. They still sacrifice humans in this day. So they conquer them. There's an earthquake in Colossae in 60 AD, which was when Paul's about to write the letter to them, that affected both Heropolis and Laodicea as well. He's put under house arrest. Well, what are you going to do when you have house arrest? What did you do during quarantine? He had a two to three year, two year quarantine. But he wrote he wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon, probably wrote 1 Timothy and Titus. And then later he writes 2 Timothy. So Nero lets him out of prison. And James, the brother of Jesus, is stoned to death outside the temple. Very sad story. Nero blames Rome being burned on the Christians. Remember that story? That's in July of 64. It's like eight days. The city burns. And they said that he fiddled while Rome burned. He played his little fiddle, played his violin, you know, while they... He said they were so drunk that he didn't do anything about it. And he said, well, the Christians must have done it. So Christian persecution continued to elevate. 
It's during this time John Mark's book gets finished. And it's a good thing it is because most of his book was probably influenced by Peter, where we know at about 65 or 66 AD, they were both executed probably on the same day, Paul and Peter both. So the apostles are dying out. Then Nero dies. There's the time of the four emperors. They had actually five in a year and a half. So the Roman government was in chaos. And the way that they become more uh, uh, organized is when they start putting generals in. Vespasian becomes a general or becomes emperor, and his son, Titus, who will be the, the emperor after him, marches into Jerusalem, ransacks the temple, and conquers, if you will, Jerusalem once and for all, runs all the Jews out, as many as he can. They fly to Masada. We've talked about Masada before, a fortress built. There's David's influence there, but Herod built it to what it was, and they just took it over. And it is at the same time the Gospel of Matthew is finished, the Gospel of Luke's finished. Acts is almost finished. So that's the rest of Paul's story, is that all these historical things are taking place. That's a lot of stuff. And you know, I, we don't have the time. Some of you are like, thank goodness. You know, right? You just keep going. But I'm telling you, all of this history that's taking place from AD 33 to 70 shows with all of the chaos in Rome, in England, in in Alexandria, Egypt, in all these earthquakes that are happening, the one thing that was held true, the one thing that was significant was these peacemakers, these lovers of God and lovers of men. They called themselves brothers and sisters. They met together and had communion. They fed each other. We got a widow that needs help. Let me sell my car. I'm going to give them some money. You know, they didn't have cars, but you know what I mean. Any widow had some need, they gave them everything they had. So this image of the church is such a far cry from what they saw in the world. And I think it's the same thing the church needs to do today. You know, I, I, I don't even watch the news anymore. I can't. I can't watch it. I just, I, I listen to it. I read a few things online. But we live in a world of chaos and war. And there's one thing that we have people that are of peace and love and practice the fruit of the Spirit right here. And that's what the world needs. And Paul led the way. He really did. Led the way. Anybody have any co comments, thoughts? All right. I love church history. So study a little bit more, look at it, and see. You can probably come up with even more st studies of things that happened in this time frame. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to suggest a topic for an upcoming broadcast, or if you'd like to email me a question, or if you have a prayer request, you can send that to rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580. Or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.